welcome to church today. Glad you're here. It's Palm Sunday. Sunday before, well, we know it as a Sunday before Easter, but this is the Sunday that Jesus began the week before his, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Next, next week is Easter Sunday. We need to be here next week because I believe, just like every week, that God wants to do something amazing in our lives and get here next Sunday, get here early. Bring somebody with you. We pray every Sunday morning from 9 to 9.30. We have a segment in that 30 minutes. Praying for the empty seat. And if your seat is empty on a Sunday, we're praying for you. But we're also praying for the people who aren't here yet. People who don't know about us. People who haven't found Jesus yet. We're praying that those seats get filled. But we're going one step beyond that. We're not just praying for our service. We're praying for the Spanish service that happens at 1 o'clock. And then we're also praying for our second service that hasn't started yet. And we're, we're praying that, that God... Do amazing things that people are drawn to him, and when they're drawn to him, that he does something amazing in their lives and changes it for the better, and they're added to his kingdom. That's the whole purpose of why we're here, and that's, uh, that's what we do. That's the why we do every single thing that we do. Are we perfect? Absolutely not, and will we ever be perfect? Only when we see Jesus. Until then, we're just doing this together, and we're getting better as we go every single week. Amen. It's good to see you. We're glad you're here. This is the final week of Follow the Leader, and I, I, I love this series, and I love what it implies. I love the simplicity of it, and in its simplicity, it's deceiving because it seems simple to say, here's the principle, apply it to your life, and it's, but it's, it's easier to recognize the principle than it is to apply it to our life. Has anybody noticed that in, this, in these last five weeks, that saying the principle is easy, but sometimes putting it into practice in our life is another matter entirely because it's, not, it's easier said than done. That's, that's a fact. The teachings of Jesus are de- deceptively simple. When a simple word like forgive, it's easy to say, sometimes not easy to do. Submit is easy to say, but we all know that is not easy to do. If we are Christians, we have to follow Jesus. That's the definition of the word Christian, somebody that follows Jesus, and we have to follow his teachings and the pattern that he left for us. And today, we're on Palm Sunday, we're going to talk about what Jesus did, what he said and what he did. As in, as in every week of this, we're going to talk about what Jesus said, we're going to talk about how he did it and how it applies to our life. And today was the, the week before Jesus died, and, and he was about to give everything. He was about to give everything up to give his life for us. Uh, so today, follow the leader, we're talking about giving. Uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He so loved the world that he gave. There's a saying about war that says, I'm sure you've heard it, all gave some, but some gave all. The common denominator there is the word give. Some are gave, some gave all, and, and some gave some, but everybody gave something. In sports, you say, when, after a game, win or lose, if, if somebody says to you, well, you left it all on the field, that means that you've been successful, win or lose, that you gave everything that you could give, you did everything in your power to win, and you have no regrets because you gave everything, right? It's, it simply means that you're putting forth the effort that needs to, have, that needs to be put out there, and you have no regrets. Jesus gave Everything He had one single purpose. And the Bible says he came to seek and to save the lost. He gave his time. 
He gave whatever resources he had. He gave his emotions. He gave his virtue. And he even gave his life. In John chapter 1, Scripture says he came to that which was his own. Talking about his own people, his own family. But his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. King James says sons of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. He gave us the right. He gave us the opportunity that when we believe on him, he gave us the opportunity to be his children. Why would he do that? Why would, would he leave heaven and come to earth just to, to reconcile us to him, to give us the chance of salvation? Because he loves us that much. He loves you that much, and he loves me that much. In our flawed, our weak, our sinful, our, our sometimes stupid state. Has anybody ever had a stupid moment? I saw some honest hands. I heard delusional no. We've all had stupid moments. We've all done things that, that disqualify us. Us and our, and our sinful fallen nature, we're not qualified for the love or the grace or the mercy of God. But he gave it to us freely. He, for God so loved the world that he gave. He loved us enough that he gave. So we're going to look at this as we have it every week again. What Jesus said, what Jesus did. And how it applies to our life. So what did Jesus say about giving? Matthew 5, 42. Give to the one who asks you. (laughs) How easy is that? No kids, it doesn't mean you can have everything you ask for. (laughs) Right, parents? Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now that's a can of worms I'm not going to open. That's what Jesus said. This ties directly back to what we talked about on Wednesday. This next scripture, Luke 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Now, that's, that's not a terribly long scripture. We, we like after the first comma. Look at the scripture. Take, the, take the, the first word and the first comma out, and I'm good with that. And it will be given to you. King James says, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing shall men give to you. We love that scripture. I've heard that, I, I hear that scripture quoted so much, and we love the scripture. But it has a first word, and it does have a comma. So in order for that scripture to be fulfilled in my life, I first have to, that's it. See, it's, it's this, these principles of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, they're, they're, fun, they're, they're sometimes even fun to say. It's going to be given to me, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. People are going to give to me. That's awesome. But the first word of the, of the scripture is the one that, that really sometimes gets me, that, that, the word give. It's like if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. I will heal their, I will heal their land. The, the back half of that scripture is a, it's an amazing promise. But the first half starts with an if. The promises of God aren't just open, empty promises. And this is Jesus talking. He said, give and you will receive. Give and this is is how it's going to be given back to you. So we're going to receive in the same manner that we give. If we give generously, 
we're going to receive generously. If we give sparingly, we're going to receive sparingly. It's God's law of defined proportions. Jesus also said this in Mark 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. and So Jesus in this setting would be sitting right there during offering time. <laughs> that would be intimidating. I'd be into my pockets and writing checks and all kinds of stuff. I'm giving it all, Jesus. So Jesus would be sitting right here. And he was watching people bringing their gifts and putting in their offering. So that's the setting, okay? He sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor woman has put more into the treasury than all the others. That doesn't make sense, does it? She put in the least amount. Jesus is saying she put in more. They all gave out of their wealth. The King James says they gave out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So Jesus was sitting here watching people put money in the, in the treasury. And people were coming laying down C-notes and, you know, bennies and 20s and 50s and 10s. And this lady put in two pennies. And he's like, guys, look at this. This lady right here put in more than everybody else. See, what Jesus, the way Jesus thinks and the way, and the way he views things is contrary to what we think. See, somebody could walk up here on a Sunday and put in $5. And somebody could walk up here on a Sunday and put in 500 And sometimes the person that puts in $5 is giving more than the person dropping in 500 Does that make sense? Because sometimes... You put in a C note, if it's easy for you, if you don't feel it, you're just feeling good, man. That's a feel-good offering. Like, I just gave 100 bucks, man. I'm pretty slick. But if you're struggling, and that $5 is going to put some gas in your tank to get to work, and you drop that 5 bucks in, in the eyes of God, that 5 bucks is more than the 500 And His blessings that He pours out from heaven... We poured out more on the person that gave the five than the person that gave the 500. Does that make sense? Now, don't twist the word of God. And everybody put in five bucks next week because that's all pastors said I had to do. And God's going to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on me. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying God rewards us for the offering, not the amount of the offering. If it's easy for you to drop in a hundred and it's a struggle for somebody to drop in a five... The person that dropped in five is going to get a bigger blessing. That's just how it works. That's what scripture just said. We're going to come back in a bit. Let's move forward. Time back into, into first wins. If you weren't here at first wins, we talked about serving and what Jesus had to say about serving and how he, he, how he lived that out. For in Mark 10, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve as a king, as God, he came to serve us and to give us his life as a ransom for us. He gave his life. There's, there's nothing more you can give than that. 
There's nothing more you can give than your life. As in forgiveness and love. When he showed those things, he forgave on the cross. He loved us so much that he, he came and he, he served us. The ultimate example, he gave everything. So what's, what's the example here? I've already talked about it. When, when I say the word give, what do you think about? Pin drop, come on. What do you think about when somebody talks about giving in church? Thank you. Be honest. You think about money because when somebody says something about giving, especially in church, you think about money. Money's a big deal to us. Scripture says where your money is, that's where your heart is. Scripture says where your money is, that's where your heart is. So if you've just gotten here and you're not supporting the church, your heart's following you. If you've been here for a long time you're not supporting the church, your heart's not here. I love you. But Scripture says your heart's not here. So that is, it's, it's important to us. I heard somebody say that money's not everything, but it's up there next to oxygen. Right? Wrong. Why is money so important? Number one, it defines us. In our society, money defines us. We're defined by the brand of clothes we wear. We're, we're defined by what we drive. We're defined about, uh, by the, count of, the kind of house we live in. We're defined by our income brackets. It's true. It's unfortunate, but it's true. So, first of all, money defines us. Second of all, it takes money to live. This isn't, you know, 1830 where we all grow our crops and have our livestock and butcher our own meat. And, and we can live self-sufficiently on a farm because we have a well and we have animals to eat and we have crops to grow. It's not like that. It takes money to buy gas, money to buy food. And the food is good for you, costs more. Correct? If you want to eat healthy, it's going to cost twice as much as eating bad for you. I'll leave that alone. So yes, money comes into play. And Jesus talked about it a lot, and the, and the Bible has a lot to say about it. And, and when through my ministry a lot, I've shied away or I've stepped away a lot from talking about money just because of the, the stigma the church has with money. And there is one. You can't deny it. And I haven't talked about it a lot and until the last couple of years, and that's changed recently in the last few years because God convicted me about this. Because Jesus talked about this a lot. And the deal is, if not taught properly, because I wasn't teaching it proper, properly in years past, God spoke to me and told me that I was robbing people of, of living a blessed life. Because there's blessing in giving. Doesn't scripture say it's more blessed to give than to receive? And God is a principled God. God is a, I'm going to talk about it in a minute, but God is a covenant God. And when we make that covenant with God, he has no choice. I'll read it in a minute. But he has no choice but to bless us. So, yes, money is a thing, but, but giving is more than just about money. And we're going to talk about things other than money first. I've said this many times at this church, and, and we have three things to give God. We have time, we have talent, we have treasure. So let's talk about those things. Those three things make up who we are and every single thing we possess. We all have the same amount of time, don't we? 
We all have 24 hours in a day. I'm not going any deeper in math than that. We have 24 hours in a day. But some people are more productive than others. If you give two people the same task in different locations and the same amount of time to do it, one person will be done first. One, one person will complete their task early. One person will go above and beyond and get some extra work done. And one person will do it better than the other person. It's same talent, same experience. Why? Because some people are more driven. Some people manage their time better. But we all have the same amount of time. Let me ask you this question. I'll just put that out there. And I'll leave it here for a minute. How Out of the 24 hours that we have... How many, how many minutes of those 24 hours in a day belong to God? I'm just going to park that right there for a minute. How much of this precious resource do we, in 2017, how much of this precious resource do we waste? I waste a lot of time. We all waste a lot of time. In, in, in this, this age of connectedness, and social media and all the things that we do and, and the ability to, to reach out and talk to anybody across the world or watch a show from across the world. There's, there's so much time that, that just isn't productive in our lives. And, and we have to have downtime. We have to have relaxed time. But, but we're, we're, we get to a place where we, we waste a lot of time. We just, we just do. Parents, how many, how many of us look back on our days of parenting young children and we wish we had put the remote down more? Anybody? We wish we had put the remote down a few more times, had, had played ball in the back of the front yard a few more times, or maybe even had tea parties a few more times. No? Sitting down at those little tiny chairs where your knees are touching your chin. Picking up a little cup with two fingers because it's, it's so little, it's just a little bitty thing. And as a guy, that's about the most uncomfortable thing you'll ever do in your life. Sitting down at a, tea, at a table this tall, in a chair this tall, with your knees touching your chin, having tea. But when you look back on your life, you may wish you had had a, a, an opportunity to go back and have another one. Or, or to do a few more. You might... Who doesn't like shopping? Raise your hand. You, you hate to shop. You may look back on raising your children and wish you had gone out for shopping for nothing a few times more. Get an ice cream cone, walk through a store, have a wish list, dream a little bit, something like that. There are things that, that we wish when, we, when our kids start getting older and, and they go out of stages. When you start looking back on pictures and say, oh, they were so cute. Or, man, I, I wish we could do that again. I wish we could go back. You can't. Sorry, buzzkill. Boom. You can't. You can't go back. You can't have more tea parties. You can't go shopping more. You can't play ball again. You can't put the remote down. Because if you do, it's just you, the dog, and the spouse. No kids. Because they grow up, they go away. So we have one shot to do what we need to do to not have regrets. So use your time wisely. Use your time wisely. If we can't get it back, it doesn't roll over. It's not like your data. Rollover data is nice. But you can't get it back. When it's gone, it's gone. 
and what's done is done. So use your time wisely. Time is something we have the same amount of. We just use it differently. How much, go back to my first question, how much of your time does God get? How much time is, is spent meditating on him or communicating with him? How much time is spent working in the kingdom of God? What does that mean? Doing God's stuff. In whatever shape, form, or fashion that is in your life, how much of your time is spent doing God's stuff and benefiting the kingdom of God and not just benefiting you? I'm talking about giving. I'm talking about following the leader and how Jesus set the example. When he showed up for ministry, man, boom. He was focused on one thing. And he did one thing. And everything he did was about the end game. And his time all went into that. Let's talk about talent. What are you good at? Everybody think for a second. Stop. What are you good at? Don't say nothing. If you've been to growth track, you know that everybody's a 10 in something. Everybody's a 10 at something. So what are you good at? What are you passionate about? What really gets you going? What are you good at? Who's got something in your mind that you're good at? Hands. Like 60 of y'all good at something. Even if you refused. If Jesus were standing here in the flesh, some of y'all would not raise your hand. Whatever, I got an amen for that, thank you. Whatever you're good at, whatever's in your head right now, I want you to ask yourself this question, how much of that does God get? I could drop the mic like 20 times a day. Just walk away. Whatever you're good at, how much do you use what you're good at for the kingdom of God? How much does the kingdom of God benefit from your talent? How much does the kingdom of God benefit from your passion? Just let that sit there and marinate for a minute. Because ultimately, we're not just saved to be saved. Once we're saved, it's our responsibility to duplicate ourselves and to to help reciprocate in others what's happened in us. So all the life experiences you've had, all the pain and agony you've experienced, all the mess-ups that you've done, all the, the moments of stupidity in your life, guess what? They're now monuments to you, what not to do again. But they're also examples for somebody else to follow. If you've overcome drug addiction, guess what your job is? Help somebody else do the same thing. If you were an alcoholic and now you're not, guess what your job is now? To help somebody else do the same thing. If you were abused, it's your job now to walk somebody else through that abuse. It's not just, okay, phew, it's over. It's about taking what God has done in your life. And duplicating it in somebody else's. It's about letting someone experience the life that you've experienced. The grace and the mercy that God has given you in your life. It's about showing somebody else the way that you're walking. Just like Jesus showed us the way he walked. And he used everything he had to get his mission accomplished. So how much of your talent, how much of your passion does God get? Are you serving him or are you serving yourself? Is everything all about you, or are you looking outside of you and how, and how what God has done in your life can benefit somebody else? The parable of talents still rings true today. If you don't know it, the master gave three people talents, one five, one two, and one one. And the guy that had one talent was like, I just got one talent. So the master left, and when he came back, the Bible says he was looking for increase on what he had given the people before he left. 
And the guy that had five had duplicated his to ten. That investment was fruitful. The guy that had two, he turned his into four. And the guy that had one was so worried about only having one, he buried his. Didn't use it, didn't maximize it, didn't duplicate it, he just buried it. And as the parable goes, the master took that gift and gave it away to the other ones that had shown that they could take something that God had given them and, and do something with it. The parable of talent still rings true. You may feel like you only have one talent. You may feel like you, you, you're not really one of the people that can shine in the kingdom of God. Uh, or maybe you just want to hang in the background a little bit. Or maybe you just want to be here and feel happy. I don't know. But what you have to understand is that, that hard work is the key. You may feel like you don't have talent. You may feel like you only have one talent and, and other people are superior to you. But hard work overcomes talent sometimes. The wise Kevin Durant said hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard. Yes, he's just a basketball player, but that's a good statement right there. Hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard. So take the talent that God has given you. Take the passion that God has given you and funnel it into a purpose for the kingdom of God. If you're a carpenter, build stuff for the kingdom of God. If you're a plumber, plumb for the kingdom of God. If you're a landscaper, landscape for the kingdom of God. If you're a financial guru, make some money for the kingdom of God. There there are so many ways to be creative with your passion and with your talent that God has given you to to benefit the kingdom of God and not just you. If If you're unsure, ask me. We'll talk about it. We'll find a path for you to use what God has given you and, and funnel that passion and funnel that talent into something that God can use and something that can benefit the kingdom of God. Whatever you're good at, work hard. And you're going to shine in, kingdom, in the kingdom of God. Give that talent, give that passion, give that desire, that thing that burns and, and drives the inside of you, give that thing back to God. T- time, what are you doing with it? How much are you wasting? How much does God get? Talent, what are you doing with that? What are, you, what are you doing with your passion? Let's give those things. Jesus came and he gave us every single thing he had. Let's give those things back to God. Let's talk about treasure for a minute. This is one of the most important things you can do when following the leader. This is one of the most important things you can do when following the leader. And you may be getting uneasy right now. I heard a story a few weeks ago. Somebody that comes to church here went and visited a different church like two or three years ago. And she was telling me this story. It's quite funny. And, and she went to church with one of her friends. And it was a church in the area. And she said when she walked in, the usher gave her two envelopes. Two giving envelopes. She's a visitor. First time guest. And, and the usher gave her two envelopes. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, you made a mistake, you gave me two. He's like, no, no, I'm into That's so you can give more. <laughs> Seriously, it happened. And, and then they got, they got in church, and, and they did their normal offering. And then, then she said the pastor got up and said that, that 15 people needed to sow seeds of 100 bucks apiece. 
And then they, they, they got that accomplished. Then they had an offering for, by the time it was said and done, I think they had taken up four offerings in, in the church service. So you may be getting uneasy right now, but not like that. So be thankful. <laughs> We're not taking up two, three, four, five offerings today. We're not giving you multiple envelopes so you can give more money. We're just talking about the principles of God and what Jesus taught us and what he had to say. Because if you're here, it means you have interest in following Jesus. And if you're here, you want to have a relationship with him. And if you're here, you want to experience the blessings of God. And in, in order to experience the blessings of God, we have to follow the leader and follow his teachings. And this was one of the most important ones. Are we after your money today? No. But are we after your money today? Yes. Why? Because there are clearly defined things that the scripture has to say about this. And when you follow those, the blessings of God that come with those things that are attached to them will blow you away. They will blow you away. And, and when we talk about this, it's, you were okay with us talking about time. That wasn't so bad. And you were pretty okay with us talking about talent because that's a little bit more invasive. We're talking about getting involved in doing stuff and putting ourselves out there. But when we talk about this, this affects our big screens. This affects uh, all the stuff. You know, I always say big screens. That's where I start. Anyway. I said earlier that God is a covenant God, and he is a covenant God. When, when, uh, when, when the ark came to rest and God put the, the rainbow in the sky, what was that? It was a sign of a covenant that he would never destroy the earth with water again. That was his covenant to man. And it has not happened since. And it will not happen because God made a covenant. So that's just how it is. He said it. It hasn't happened. Well, he's a covenant God, and when we give our resources to God, when we make that commitment to him, that is a covenant that we make with God. And I'll show you the difference in a minute. Our giving to, to God, our tithes and our offering, they are a covenant. I'm going to read this passage. Don't freak out. Mal- Malachi 3. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask how. How can you rob God? Think about it. That's what the question is. How can we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you. Israel's in a bad spot. God said, you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe, a tenth. That's if you go through a growth track, that's in week one. We talk about that. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This next verse, is, or next sentence is awesome. This is the covenant part right here. Test me in this. This is the only place in all of the Bible. The only place. That's how significant this is. This is the only place in the Bible. Everybody hear this. That God says to man, test me. Now, when we're talking to each other, when we say test me, we're like, make me prove myself, right? That's the point. Don't make me show you. Don't test me. You know, don't make me show you that I'm going to do this. Don't make me prove myself. Don't make me prove and put out what I said. So God is saying, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent, that's the statement, and here's the promise. 
I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So he starts off the passage talking about a curse if we don't, but then he says, why don't you just test me? See if I won't put up, see if I won't prove myself and do what I say that I will do, because here's what I, if you do this, here's what I'm going to do. Now, we don't have crops, do we? We don't have crops. We don't have vines. You may have a little hobby grapevine in your backyard or something, but you don't have a vineyard. We don't have those things. But translate that into our life and into our society, and that's what the promise of God is all about. He said we will be a blessed nation, and people will call us blessed. That sounds negative at first when we're talking about the curse part. But the latter part comes the promise. It comes, it's the covenant. It's our rainbow outside of the ark. It's the sign from God that he said, I will do this if you do this. We see the purpose of tithing is, is, is for the provision of this to happen. It's what we do. It's, it's the provision of this house to, to do everything that we need to do. It, it takes money, right? Now it's quiet. It takes money to make this happen. For some of you, it would blow your mind if you knew how much money it takes for this to happen. But we understand that it takes money to make everything happen. But we see the purpose of it and we see what it does. But then he says, test me. See if I won't do what I say I will do. Why would God say this? About everything else in the Bible, he doesn't say test me. He doesn't say prove me. Why would God say this about money? I believe he said this because he knew it would be a struggle. It was, it was being demonstrated in front of him right then that it was a struggle for people to do this. It didn't make sense. If somebody doesn't go to church, if somebody doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, and maybe even some people in the church find out that you tithe, they're like, why would you do that? I've heard people talk about it. I, went, I had to go to district court one day, and, and the guys, when you walk in, if you haven't been to court recently, it's like walking through worse than the airport. Like, it's, it's shoes, it's a belt, it's money, it's phones, it's everything out of your pocket, your belt off your body. You walk through security, and they have like four guys sitting right there before you go in court. And I heard them talking. It was like 11 o'clock at night, and I was trying to get some, something done with the commissioner, and they're just sitting there talking about one of their friends that they know go to church and and they support the ministry with their tithing and these four security guards were talking about just how ludicrous it was that somebody would, would actually give money to a church because of the stigma of giving money to the church and they were just going on and on and on it, so so god knew that it was going to be difficult it wouldn't make sense so he had so he said give me a trial period Give me a trial period. Let me prove myself. Test me and see if I won't do this. That's what that's all about. Give me a trial period. He said, I will open the floodgates of heaven. I will bless you so much that you won't be able to handle it. I will ensure a healthy harvest of whatever's going on in your life. And people around you will call you blessed. That's the promise. That's the covenant of God if we follow through on this teaching. In following the leader, we should be faithful in supporting the kingdom of God, our tithes and offerings. Is it all about the amount? No, we read that earlier where it's not just about the amount of money you give. With tithing, it's about the percentage. Well, again, grow track week one, you need to go. First week of the month. 
It's about the percentage in tithing. In offering, it's about the heart. In your offering, it's about your heart. Remember the, the lady from Mark 12? Jesus said she gave more than anybody when clearly she had given the least. It wasn't about the amount. It was about the giving and the purpose and, and the heart of the person giving it. So don't use this example the wrong way. Don't say, well, I can give two pennies and God's going to bless me when you got ten grand in the bank. No. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. The blessings come from a heart that wants to give to God. There, there are so many stories in, in this place, and I'm, I'm going to tell one or two in a minute. But, but don't use this example in the wrong place. Re- remember, in this passage we read in Mark 12, there were some big givers in this passage. There were some big givers. But Jesus said she gave more because her gift was more effective because she gave sacrificially and they were giving out of their abundance. They were giving because it was convenient. They were giving because it didn't matter that much. The translation was in our time, they didn't feel what they gave. And she definitely felt what she gave. I told this story in Grow Track a few weeks ago, but some of y'all will come up randomly and tell me stories of, of provision and, and how, how God works. And, and a few weeks ago, somebody told me, now I want you to hear this, and I want you to understand it. I'm not going to tell you who it is, although they probably wouldn't care if I did. Just not going to. This person came to me, and, and, and they've, they've always had just stories about giving, about how they give and how God provides, how they, how they give and put out and how God backfills. And, and this person came to me and said, I had a choice last Sunday. Fixed income, not a lot in the bank. And they said, if I paid my tithes, I was down to, I think, 40 bucks in the bank for the rest of the month. And this was like week two. So you you get the picture. Two weeks to go, 40 bucks in the bank, no more money coming in. They said, I had a choice. If I was going to pay tithes this month or keep this amount of money, and use it to survive the rest of the month. And they said, I know God's provided for me in the past. So I went ahead and I wrote the check. And I paid my tithes that Sunday morning. That's faith. Faith without, you can say I, you can say I believe that God's going to provide for me. But faith without works is, thank you. Faith without action is dead. So this person wrote this tithe check. I don't even know how much it is doesn't matter how much it is. But I guarantee you that tithe check that week was the largest tithe check in the offering. Does that make sense? Guarantee you it was the biggest check in the offering. This person wrote the tithing check. And after four occurrences within 24 hours have been given more than what that check was. So the person could have held on to the money and had, let's say it was 100 bucks. Let's just say it was 100 they could have held on to the 100 bucks and, 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 and budgeted their money out for the rest of the month and made it. But because they gave the 100 bucks, test me on this and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing. And the blessing they received in the next 24 hours was more than the check they had written. And it was from like two, three, four different sources of people that called and said, here, I want to do this. I want to do this. I'm giving you this unsolicited people calling to say, I'm going to do this. And none of them individually were the amount that they gave. 
but all of them added together within 24 hours surpassed what was put in the offering bowls on Sunday. You can't make that stuff up. I mean, you could, but you'd be lying. It just shows the faithfulness of God's provision. Another story, this person's going to get mad at me. I don't care. This person is a single parent working two jobs. And it was time to give one job up. But how do you give up a second job when you're the sole provider of your, of your family? But this job was coming to an end. And what do you, where's the money coming from to replace this when it takes both jobs to pay the bills? Has anybody ever been there? So the notice went in. The job went away. That's a big deal when somebody's walking by faith. A week, two weeks, three weeks, radio silence, walking in faith, being obedient, doing everything that they know to do to serve God and to be faithful. Within like the third, fourth, fifth week, somewhere in there, got a call. Here's this opportunity. Second job opens right up to replace the one that was gone away. How cool is that? It's called walking by faith. There, you can't undervalue the act of giving. You can't undervalue the act of obedience. You cannot undervalue the covenant that God puts in place when we honor this, this commitment with him. You cannot because it's the only place in the Bible where he is bound by saying, test me and see if I won't do this. It's the only place in the Bible where he says, this will happen. I promise you, test me, this will happen. And, and it works. It just works. It's where the blessing is. It's where the favor is. In the measure you give, it, that's the same measure you're going to receive. These are the three things that we possess. Time, talent, and treasure. What about us? What about giving ourselves to God? Jesus gave himself for us when his act, of, his act of, of, of sacrifice on the cross, he gave his life so that we could have eternal life. Let's go back to Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service because of what he did for us. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We think differently. The guys at court didn't make sense that somebody would, would put their resources into the church and the kingdom of God, but somebody who experiences the miracles that I just told you about, it makes perfect sense. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and how you think that you can prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. I love how all this ties together. We can directly refer to other lessons in this series because they overlap in so many ways. By presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, we're giving our life to Him. We're giving our life to Jesus Christ. We're committing to a life of service for Him. I love the song, I Give Myself Away. I give myself away so you can use me to affect somebody else's life, to change somebody else's future. That's what the purpose of this is all about. 
And this is what God is looking for in our lives, not just Sunday church attendance. That's not what this is about. It's about giving your life to Jesus Christ so you can affect somebody else's and change somebody else's future. He tells us to give and lets us know what the benefits are going to be. Give and it will be given to you. Luke 6. Give and it will be given to you. Press down, shaken together, overflowing shall men give to your bosoms. For with the measure you use it, it's going to be measured back to you. Give and it will be given back to you. And our gifts are going to come from men. Promotions, gifts, raises, business deals. is how we're going to be rewarded for giving. It's called favor. It's called the favor of God. And it will be on our lives when we give to God. And we're going to receive gifts according to the gifts that we give. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, remember this. So remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. I'll never, it's emblazoned in my memory. It's been almost a year ago now. Somebody started to come to church, and, you know, when we, when we have work days, we'll have eight, ten people show up to work. That's the average typically, sometimes 15. And we had worked hard, and I was thanking somebody as they left. I'm like, dude, thank you for coming out today. It's been huge. The first time in my life, about a year ago, this person said, no, thank you for letting me. I'm like, <laughs> felt like Fred Sanford. Elizabeth, I'm coming home. <laughs> first time it's ever happened. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. If you're giving your time, he wants us to be cheerful about it. If we're giving our talent, man, as you're doing whatever it is you do, be happy about it. Be cheerful about it. If you're, if, if you're giving money, if, when you walk up here on a Sunday, man, be happy. Be happy that God has blessed you and put you in a position where you can do what you're doing. No matter what it is. Be thankful and be cheerful. We reap, we reap according to how we sow. Some of us in this room are going to have a kicking harvest. It's going to be crazy. Some of us are going to have a drought. <laughs> They're just saying. These are the simple laws of God. Jesus taught very simply, very clearly. But man, putting it into action sometimes really rakes us over the coals and eats our lunch. But we do well to incorporate these things in our life. Give God your time. Spend time with him. Cultivate the relationship with him that he desires to have with you. Give God your talent. Whatever it is you're good at, whatever it is you're passionate about, do that for the kingdom of God. Do it well. And give of your resources. Do what God has asked you to do. And great things will happen. There's a lot of vision that needs a lot of provision. And it's through us that God does this stuff. Remember, he's a covenant God. So what happens when, when we give to him? Remember the little boy that had the sack lunch, had five loaves of bread and two fish? What did Jesus do with that? He fed 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves of bread and two fish. And they weren't like whales. The little boy had them. He didn't have two whales. He had two catfish or something like that. 
even a big one. Ten-pound catfish is not going to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. The, it, the, the point is not what kind of fish it was. The point is God took five loaves of bread and two fish and fed more than 5,000 people. And if you read the passage, you'll, you'll, you'll see that there were 12 baskets of food left over. Who likes leftovers? The little boy gave his sack lunch, and the result was 12 baskets of leftovers. The person a few weeks ago put their tithing check in and within 24 hours had more than what they had given. It's a, he's a principled God. That's what happens when you give to him. God multiplies it and affects people's lives with it and then gives you the overflow from it. He takes it. He multiplies it, affects people's lives with it, and gives you the overflow from it.